Today is a good day, and we're going to jump into our series, Live Like a King, as we've been studying the life of David, who was the greatest king in the Bible. We read a lot of, of cool stories that, that also apply to us. There are principles and lessons we can draw out of his story that will help us in our lives. The Bible says that you're adopted into God's family as sons and daughters, and through Jesus, you are co-heirs of what he has earned. So you have been made royalty through Jesus. So if you're like, man, I always felt like I was special. You are. You are because of what Jesus has done. You've got to learn how to live like a king. So let's turn to our, in our Bible. First Samuel chapter 30. If you're opening up your Bible app, if you're turning in a Bible, or if you want to read this on the Sky Bible, the Sky Bible, um, it says this. Three days later, when David and his men arrived home at their town of Ziklag, they found that the Amalekites had made a raid into the Negev and Ziklag. They had crushed Ziklag and burned it to the ground. They had carried off the women and children and everyone else, but without killing anyone. When David and his men saw the ruins and realized what had happened to their families, they wept until they could weep no more. David's two wives... Uh, Ahinoam from Jezreel and Abigail, the widow of Nabal from Carmel, were among those captured. David was now in great danger because all his men were very bitter about losing their sons and daughters, and they began to talk of stoning him. But David found his strength in the Lord his God. I'm going to stop there as we set up this really amazing story about David's family and the families of his men being captured by the Amalekites who raided in, burned their, their home city to the, the ground and, and stole their families, stole all their possessions and carried them away. Now, David and his guys just came back from fighting a battle and they find their families had been stolen and their stuff had been taken. And you can imagine how devastating that would have been for them. Uh, we read that they wept and, and that they were overwhelmed with grief. And so David, we're going to read, is about to launch this daring, amazing rescue mission to get his family back. OK, and I want to talk to you today about how to rescue like a king. There is a rescue mission that God has called us to, and it's so important that we understand this mission, okay? So we're going to read about David. We read that, you know, his family was taken, and I think as a husband, this just causes something to rise up in me that is hard to contain. Now, all, all the guys, especially in the room, right, like just you think about someone messing with your wife if you're married, and it's like, oh, oh, God help me. I'm going to jail, right? Like... I will go to jail to protect my wife. Like, and you think about it as a parent, man, women, as a parent, someone messing with your baby? I mean, stealing your son or daughter and carrying them off into captivity? Oh, God help you, mama bear coming out of the woods. She's gonna claw your face off, right? Like, every one of us, I think, can relate to this and how we feel protective over our loved ones. We feel protective for our family. I'm protective as a person and as a pastor. That's why I'm so pumped that we have the best security and safety team at our church of any church in the history of the world, I think. They're the, they're the best, and they have a heart to, to serve and to protect our church family. Now, let me just touch on a couple of side notes. When we read this story, we read David's two wives were captured, okay? So if you're new to church right now, and you're like, what? He had two wives? Let's talk about that for a second, okay? 
In the Bible, we read in Genesis, God's plan for marriage and for humanity. It was for one man to have one wife. Okay, so Adam was alone in the garden. God said, it's not good that you're alone. And so he gave him a wife. Now, as mankind sinned and their hearts were hardened towards God, he temporarily temporarily allowed them to have more than one wives, although he didn't really condone of it or approve of it. It was not his best plan for humanity, right? It was in that day somewhat a sense of a welfare system for, for some women who couldn't provide for themselves. So God let men take care of more than one wife and provide for them. But even in the Bible, when it talks about a man having more than one wife in the Old Testament, like in Deuteronomy, for example, it talks about it in negative terms, like he's going to love one and hate the other. He's going to have drama in his life. God knows. <laughs> you show me one woman who's pumped about sharing her husband with another. Like sh any husband in this room right now would tell you like it's hard enough to take care of one wife and keep her happy. Like I don't want to double the trouble if you know what I'm saying. So this is not exactly a gold star on David's resume. And I talked about the beginning of this sermon series. He was not a perfect man. He was not sinless. He's not the savior that we look to. We need a savior who is sinless named Jesus. And, and yet through David, we learn a lot, but he was a sinner like us. And this was an area where he was kind of weak when it came to women. So we read that their families were kidnapped. When David and his men saw the ruins and realized what had happened to their families, they wept until they could weep no more. You can imagine their grief. Uh, as they realized their families, their children had been kidnapped and how that would have stricken them deep in the heart, especially after being exhausted and tired that they just come back from this battle to find their home had been raided. And I think any parent could imagine the grief and the terror. You know, we just in the news saw the story of the Thai cave boys, right? The, the team that got trapped in the cave and the whole world was kind of watching this rescue mission that took about two weeks to unfold. And I think any parent can hear that story about children being trapped in a cave, potentially facing death, imagine for weeks at a time, and your heart just skips a beat, right? Like you just saying, if that was my child, like I would be overwhelmed, I'd be overcome, I would be grief-stricken, I'd be terrified. And then we have to remember that in this life, all of us have friends and family who might not be physically lost, but are spiritually lost. And this is infinitely more dangerous. The stakes are so much higher. It's one thing to be lost and die. It's another thing to die in a state of separation from God and be separated from him for all eternity in hell. There is a real hell. There is a real heaven. And we have a choice where we spend eternity. Your soul is eternal. When you die, it's not another chance to, to go at it again. You don't reincarnate. You don't go to purgatory. The Bible says it's appointed for a man to die once and then comes judgment. And so when you think about loved ones who don't know God, it can really quickly grab a hold of your heart and cause fear, cause grief for you thinking about what might await them. And if you're in that position, you need to look at the example that we see here and learn from it. It says this, but David found strength in the Lord, his God. But David found strength in the Lord, his God. The other men who were there, they loved David but they were so overwhelmed with grief that they were like, let's stone him. Look what he got us into. Let's kill him. He was in danger, the Bible says, but he looked to God and found strength in the Lord his God. So this is important for us to understand. No matter what's going on in your life, 
If maybe you've lost someone that you loved. Maybe you just lost a job. Uh, we have families in our church who lost loved ones just this week. Well, we have people in our church who found out they're sick just this week. Any situation. And you think about, man, I've got friends and family who don't know Jesus and they're lost and they're hurting and they're broken in my heart. It breaks for them. Look, draw strength from the Lord your God. And I want you to write this down in your notes if you're taking notes today. Find strength in the Lord your God. Anything that you go through, the answer is find strength in the Lord your God. If you've ever said, man, I can't take it anymore. You can't take it anymore, but the Lord your God can give you strength to endure what you could not endure on your own. And you have to catch this. You have to catch this important wording. David found strength in the Lord, his God. Look, God is not a break glass in case of emergency God. If he's not the Lord, your God, he's not going to be able to help you in your time of trouble. He doesn't want you to just turn to him as a magic genie in a bottle when your boyfriend breaks up with you. He wants to be the Lord, your God, every day of your life when times are good and when times are bad. Sometimes people come to me and they're like, pastor, pray for me. Uh, I'm really going through a lot. And I'm like, oh, do you know Jesus? Are you Christian? Like, well, no, but I just want you to pray for me. Look, I don't have magic prayers, right? Like I can't, I can't do anything for you, but God, he can do everything for you. If he's your God, he can work in your life. And the Bible says he works all things together for the good of those who love him. Not for everyone, for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. So if you love him, if he's your God, you know he'll give me strength to get through. He'll work it together for good. I can have hope in the middle of any situation. Come on, if you believe it, give God praise today. So in this moment of grief and pressure and danger, David turns to God. He draws strength from God and he seeks answers from God. In 1 Samuel chapter 30, verse 7, it says this, then he said to Abiathar the priest, bring me the ephod. And if you're like nudging your neighbor right now, what's the ephod? I will explain that. So Abiathar brought it. Then David asked the Lord, should I chase after this band of raiders? Will I catch them? And the Lord told him, yes, go after them. You will surely recover everything that was taken from you. So when David asked the high priest Abiathar to come, what he was doing was he was seeking answers from God. And in the Old Testament times, the high priest wore a breastplate called the ephod. It had 12 stones on it, representing the 12 tribes of Israel. And Jews called it the breastplate of decision because inside of it was a pouch that they kept these stones, uh, and the stones were used in the process of seeking the Lord's will. It was kind of like drawing lots or, or like flipping a coin, and if it sounds weird, it's because it is weird, right? And so that was kind of what kings could do or the high priest could do seeking God's will on behalf of the people. They would use these stones, and like, they'd like reach in, and they'd be like, uh, okay, this stone means yes, this, this stone means no. David was seeking God's help and God's direction in this moment. Now, it's interesting to understand what was going on there, but it's really cool to understand what this means for you. You, as a Christian, have the Holy Spirit living inside of you. The Spirit of God is in you. David had to go to the high priest and seek answers. The Lord of God has already revealed his will, his will to you perfectly through the word of God, through the Bible. David didn't have a Bible to go read. David didn't have a David to go read about, okay? Like, he had to seek answers. You have a Bible which answers every important question that you could ask. 
And then you have the spirit of God living inside of you. So you have direct access to the source yourself. You don't need a pastor. You don't need a priest. You don't need a magical mystical device. You don't need healing crystals or, or a Ouija board. You can just talk to God and say, Lord, what should I do? Lead me in your will, God. I want to follow your ways and honor you. And God will reveal his path to you. Aren't you glad that you have access to God as a follower of Jesus? So God tells David, yes, go after them. And I think David sent those guys a message. Like I would have sent this message. I think this is what David sent. It's not in the Bible, but this is just how I think it played out. I think David sent a messenger to the Amalekites and he said, I don't know who you are. I don't know what you want. If you want ransom, I don't have money. But what I do have are a very particular set of skills. Skills formed over a long career. Skills which make me a nightmare for people like you. If you let my family go, I will not look for you. I will not pursue you. But if you do not let my family go, I will look for you. I will find you and I will kill you. That's just a speech I imagine. I made that up, obviously. Um, Everyone loves a good rescue story, right? David's family was taken. He's going to rescue them. This is a real-life historical account. This isn't just Hollywood. Actually happened. Maybe you've wondered, why am I here? Why am I on this planet? What is my purpose? I gave my life to Jesus. I raised my hand in church a few weeks ago. What should I do now? Great question. And I want to make it very clear. Our mission is to rescue the lost. That's why we're here. Our mission is to rescue the lost. And we want to understand this. We want to understand how it applies to our lives. It's so important. Sometimes people ask me about this church. They'll say, hey, Ryan, would you say your church is more for Christians or more for lost people? What kind of question is that? It sounds like you're asking me about a country club, right? I say, oh boy, is this place for us or for them? For us or for them, for Christians or for lost people? That's a false dichotomy, right? The church is God's people. And we are only fulfilling our purpose when we are pursuing lost people to rescue. It's not either or. It's both and. If we're not rescuing the lost and pursuing them, we're not being the church. That's who we are, and this is what we do. This is God's people. We are God's people, and we're called to rescue the lost because we're Christians. That's why. That's how you know we are. So Jesus, we should look to him as our example, obviously. Why did he come into this world? Was it to start a new religion? No, we didn't need any more of those. Was it to heal sick people? He did that. Was it to end homelessness? Not really. He said, the poor you'll always have with you. Was it to, to feed the hungry? Well, he said, I can give you food and water, but you'll get hungry and thirsty again. But I'm the bread of life and the living water. Whoever partakes of me will never hunger and thirst again. Jesus came to rescue the lost. It says this in Luke 19, 10, for the son of man, that's Jesus, came to seek and save those who are lost. Are you wondering why he came? This is why he came. This wasn't part of his mission. It was the point of his mission. He came to seek and save those who are lost. And aren't you glad for that? Because that's us. We were the lost. 
He came to seek and save us. And now that we've found Jesus and found life and, and we've come to know him and what he's like, okay, what, what should we do? John 20, verse 21. Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. The God the Father sent me into this world because he loved the world and didn't want anyone to perish. He wanted everyone to have the opportunity to be saved through him through Jesus. And so he said, the same way I came to seek and save the lost church. Listen, God is sending you to seek and save the lost. You have the same mission. He just transferred his mission to you and said, take this torch and carry it forward. Why? Because the stakes are so high in Mark 16 verse 15. And then he told them, Jesus, go into all the world and preach the good news to everyone. Anyone who believes and is baptized will be saved, but anyone who refuses to believe will be condemned, right? So this is why it's so important for us to rescue the lost, because if they'll believe, if they'll put their faith in Jesus, God will save them by his grace. They don't even have to be good people because Jesus was good. He doesn't want us to sin anymore, but, but we don't earn our salvation by going through classes or by going on a missions trip or by writing a large check to a church. We get saved because Jesus decides to save us, okay? And, and it's a gift. It's the free gift of God. And this is what God is calling us to do. Take this message out. It's the good news or the gospel and proclaim claim it to other people because anyone who does not believe will be condemned. That's not something that we decided. That's what God says. The wages of sin is death. Okay. The, that means the, the, the price that you get paid for your sins is death. That's the wages you get paid. That's what you earned for sinning. That's what you deserve. Death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus. So I deserve death, but God made it possible for me to receive life through Jesus. And we want other people to receive the same life. We found ourselves in the middle of the greatest rescue operation in the history of the world. We know Jesus. We don't have to seek direction because he told us what we should do. Go and proclaim the gospel. So this church, if you're wondering, if you came today for the first time, we are a church committed to not just liking Jesus. We want to be like Jesus. We want to take his mission and make it our mission. Our job description is in our name. We are Christians. We are Christ-like. We are in the image of Christ. Whatever he did, we're called to do. It's not an extracurricular activity. It's our primary duty. It's our calling. It's our purpose. Outreach is not an event on the calendar. It is a daily lifestyle. So we know I am here to rescue the lost. It's not something we do once in a while to check a box. Only rescue the lost on days that end in Y. Take vacations from it? Never. Stop when you die. Until then, rescue, seek and save. We are called to this because the stakes are so high. And yet, statistics say that only about one third of Christians invite people to church. And I'm not saying that to make you feel guilty or to condemn you. That's not my purpose. I'm saying that to help us all understand the reality that we face. Now, I think that probably our church is above average in this area and invites people higher at a higher rate than normal and shares Jesus 
more frequently than is normal because the people in this church have experienced God's goodness. But we need to understand the state of the church in our country, that most people, two-thirds, never invite anyone to church. And this is why, this is why so many Christians are bored, unfulfilled, discontent, and restless. It's because they're not fulfilling their primary purpose. And so you've got this life and this fire which God has placed inside of you and you have not used it for what God intended it to be used for. It's like having a high-powered sports car in your garage and never driving it. That thing is just asking you to drive it, right? Like God is saying, I gave you life. I gave you strength. I built you up so that I could send you out. And if you don't go, if you don't tell, you're not being used for what you were made to do. And that's why you feel discontent. You don't need another Bible study. You need to go out and be who God's made you to be and reach the lost and call them to know Jesus the way that you've come to know him. It's so important. Now, some people never think about it. Maybe you never thought about this. Like before, you just came to church one day because you were going through a hard time and you needed hope, you were looking for answers. So you're like, man, I came to church because my life was jacked up. And if that's why you came, you did the right thing. You came to the right place. This is a place for people who are hurting. Our church is a place for people who are broken and messed up. If you come to this church and your life is messed up, you've come to the right place because we're there with you. There are no perfect people here. If you find a perfect person, don't invite him to come here because he'll ruin this thing we got going on, okay, she'll be disappointed. <laughs> None of us are perfect. We've come to Jesus, all of us broken and empty, and he healed us, he restored us, and he filled us up. So if you come to church because you are hurting and broken, you did the right thing because the church does serve as a hospital for the sick. But it's not only a hospital for the sick. Jesus did not save you so that you could live your life in a perpetual cycle of sickness. He did not call you to just go from one struggle to the next struggle and barely get by. He gave you life and resurrected your soul from the dead so that you could come to life and fulfill your purpose and walk this thing out day to day. He didn't just save you so he could bless you. He blessed you so that you could be a blessing to other people. He loves you individually. Individually, he knows your name. When Jesus died on the cross, I think because he was the son of God, it was possible for him to know every single name, every person who would come to believe in him. I'll tell you what, I'm not good at remembering names, but I believe Jesus is good and he knows you. He's good at it. He knows you personally. You matter to him, but it's not just about us personally. It's not just about me individually. I'm glad God knows my name, but what he wants me to do is go out into this world and proclaim his name to people who need to know him, right? He's called us to this. It's our purpose and our calling. So if you've never thought about it, I'm just, I'm just kind of bringing this up so we can be reminded of our purpose. Why are we here? What are we supposed to do? Are we supposed to hunker down and get together in a Bible study and just like, everyone's against us. Please, Jesus, help us. No, I think we are victorious. We are conquerors. God has given us strength. He has empowered us with his Holy Spirit to go out into this world and be bold witnesses for Jesus. We're not running and hiding and waiting for Jesus to come back. We're going and proclaiming and taking back territory from the enemy because this rescue mission is our mission. 
Some Christians wouldn't admit it in some churches, and I don't want to condemn them or talk bad about other churches, but a lot of Christians around this world, but especially in America, because we just tend to be a little bit self-focused, they go to church for themselves. They go to church for what they want and what they can get out of it. And this is sadly true, but when things start to change and it's no longer about what they want, well, the discontentment comes up, the bad attitudes flare, and a lot of times they just move on looking for another place that can be their little country club church. I know a a pastor who's just a few miles from here I'm friends with. I was talking with him and his wife last week about their church in Gilbert, and they came and they've been working to lead this church back into health and vitality because it had become self-focused and inward-minded and really dead. They weren't reaching any lost people. They weren't reaching any young families. And this pastor and his wife felt convicted that we need to see this thing turn around and get back on track doing what God's called us to do. So they started to change things. They started to modernize their building and how their service felt. They started to get rid of some programs that maybe weren't working anymore. And and God forbid, they changed the music. There has been more fights in churches in America in the last hundred years about music than anything. And the day they changed the music, they told me half the people in their church left. And they didn't just leave, but they were talking bad about the pastor saying, they messed up our church. They changed our church. They're making it all about lost people and reaching young families. And I think they should say, bye, Felicia. Because it's not just about us, right? And we don't, we don't have room for that kind of mindset in our church. I want you to be happy here. I want you to be content here and feel ministered to and always feel like what we do is relevant for your life. But it's not just about my preferences. I mean, as a pastor, like, to be honest with you, if I wanted us to sing a certain type of music, like, we would sing it. But I like some kinds of music that you all wouldn't like. (laughs) So we don't sing just whatever I want because it's not just about me. It's about our community and reaching people who need Jesus. And we see this example in Scripture again and again. But I love the example of the Apostle Paul. In 1 Corinthians, he writes to the church, and he talks about his strategy for rescuing the lost. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 19. He says, Even though I'm a free man with no master, I have become a slave to all people to bring many to Christ. When I was with the Jews, I lived like a Jew to bring the Jews to Christ. When I was with those who followed the Jewish law, I too lived under that law, even though I am not subject to the law. I did this so that I could bring to Christ those who are under the law. When I am with the Gentiles who do not follow the Jewish law, I too live apart from the law so that I can bring them to Christ. But I do not ignore the law of God. I obey the law of Christ. In other words, I don't sin. When I am with those who are weak, I share their weakness, for I want to bring the weak to Christ. Yes, I try to find common ground with everyone doing everything I can to save some. I do everything to spread the good news and share in its blessing. I love this verse. This passage is amazing. Paul says, like, look, this is my strategy. If I'm with Gentiles who don't know the law, I'm going to be like Gentiles. I'm not going to sin, but I'm going to do whatever it takes to reach them. If I'm with Jews, I'm going to be talking about Hanukkah and doing Jewish stuff. 
I'm going to live under the law, even though I'm not a subject to the law. I'm just going to do what it takes to reach them for Christ. If I'm with ducks, I'm going to quack like a duck. If I'm with dogs, I'm going to bark like a dog. I'm going to be all things to all people. I will do whatever it takes to reach people for Christ. If I'm with guys who like cars, I'm going to talk about cars. If I'm with ladies who like knitting, I'll talk about knitting. If I'm with little kids who like Fortnite, I'll talk about Fortnite. I don't care. I'll do whatever it takes to reach people for Christ. Because it's not about me and my preferences. It's about Jesus. If Jesus can lay down his life on the cross, I can lay down my preferences to reach the lost. Because it's not about what I want. It's about what I'm here for. I'm here to rescue those who are lost. This is why God has put us here. And we need to think the way that Paul thought. We will do whatever it takes. Whatever. Have you ever wrapped your mind around this? Like, look, Ryan, you're talking to me about rescuing the lost. Okay, I might be open to this. I, I might be willing to consider that there are some people who I can share Jesus with and talk to or maybe even invite to church. But let me help you. Now let's graduate from that level of openness to a determination that says, I will do whatever it takes. If it's not a sin, I will do it. If it's not clearly a sin, I'll do it. Because the mission is so important and the stakes are so high. We're not talking about lives being lost. We're talking about souls being lost for all eternity. It's so important, right? And so we got to understand it's not about me. It's not about my preferences. We'll do whatever it takes. Our message will stay the same. Our message is Jesus, but our methods will change. And this is the word, I want you to understand this. Our purpose is more important than our preference. Our calling is more important than our comfort. We'll do whatever it takes. It's not about being comfortable. I'm not willing to stay comfortable and let you stay comfortable. If I did that, I'd be doing a disservice to you and to Jesus and to lost people who need us. We'll do whatever it takes, okay? So over time, we'll try new things. Um, and some of the things that you used to love, they might not be done any longer. Okay, think about that. What happens? What happens if you lose the thing you love? Are, are you going to throw a temper tantrum? Or are you going to say, oh, it's not about me. It's about rescuing the lost. I'll do whatever it takes. This is a value for our team and for our leaders. Whatever it takes. Whatever it takes. Can I use technology to reach the lost? Now, throughout history, a lot of Christians have been like, oh, if it's new technology, it must be of the devil. Like electric guitar in church. My God, help us. So there's been all kinds of fights in the church throughout history because people were willing to change things and try new things. That does not happen here. You just need to know that. We don't think that way. We're open-minded. We should be, as Christians, innovative in our efforts to reach the lost. We'll use technology. We'll use video. We'll use the internet. We'll start campuses and new places around our city to reach people who live too far away to drive here because it's about rescuing people who don't live here. We'll do whatever it takes. We will sing music that you all like, but when it comes time to reach the next generation, we might be singing some different types of music than you and I grew up liking. Are you okay with that? I think that this generation should always be willing to sacrifice to reach the next generation. So if in 20 years we're up in here like singing rave music, like beep, beep, doo, Jesus, 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 like we'll do it, right? Like if that helps us reach the loss, we'll do it. We'll always be mindful and considerate that unbelievers are here in our midst every time we gather together. So I'm not coming to church every Sunday just to have it my way. 
I'm thinking about the fact that there are lost people here, so we need to take a couple extra minutes when we read the Bible to explain to them what's going on so they can come along on the journey with us. They need to know when they come to church that there's not going to be some crazy Christian lady up in the front waving her flags around and smacking people in the face. Like, like if you want to do that, cool, just do it in your living room. You know what I'm saying? Like, because when we come together as Christians, we're considerate that there are lost people here. We will always welcome messy people into our church. We love messy people in this church. Messed up people coming into this place. That's what it's all about. My favorite thing is when a guy walks up to me after church who doesn't know Jesus, and he was like, that was a good effing sermon, Pastor Ryan. Get her done. Right? That's what it's all about. So if someone comes up in here and they're messed up and they smell like booze and they try to tell you a dirty joke, right? Like, I just laugh at their dirty joke. I'm like, ha, 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 God's going to get you. You came to the right place, right? You're where you're supposed to be. We will always ask the spiritually mature to sacrifice for the spiritually immature. And those of us who are here will always stretch to make room for those who aren't here, right? I'm never going to walk in and tell someone, you're sitting in my favorite chair, right? I'll buy a new chair for me. He can have my chair, right? Because we're going to make room. We'll stretch lives and souls hang in the balance, Here's the story as it goes on. Verse 11, it says, Along the way they found an Egyptian man in a field and brought him to David. They gave him some bread to eat and water to drink. They also gave him part of a fig cake and two clusters of raisins, for he hadn't had anything to eat or drink for three days and nights. Before long, his strength returned. To whom do you belong and where do you come from? David asked him. I am an Egyptian, the slave of an Amalekite, he replied. My master abandoned me three days ago because I was sick. We were on our way back from raiding. They were raiding uh, the city of Ziklag. Okay, now do you catch the plot twist there? They raided the city where David's family and friends had just been stolen from. And this guy was a part of that group. And so they ask him what's going on. And in verse 15, it says, will you lead me back to this band of raiders, David asked. The young man replied, if you take an oath in God's name that you will not kill me or give me back to my master, then I will guide you to them. So he led David to them and they found the Amalekites spread out across the fields, eating and drinking and dancing with joy because of the vast amount of plunder they had taken. Okay, so they found this guy out in the fields. And as they start asking him questions, they discover he was a part of the kidnapping team, right? Like he was a bad guy and with the bad guys. And so what do they do? They could have just taken out their anger on this guy and ran him through and killed him and been like, revenge is mine, right? But they were, they were smart. They, there was some wisdom there. There was some restraint. So they gave him some water and some fig newtons, the Bible says, and they asked him, where are you from? They asked some questions and they're like, oh, wait a second. Really? You're with the Amalekites. Could you maybe show us the way back to where they're at? And he's like, yeah, man, as long as you don't kill me or give me back to those guys, I'll take you. And so this guy who was a part of the enemy camp led them back to their lost loved ones and friends who were in captivity. And this is an important point I want you to take note of for all of us as Christians today. Lost people will lead you to lost people. Statistics say that 20% of Christians don't invite anyone to church because they don't know anyone to invite. If you don't know anyone to invite, man, need to get to know some lost people. Lost people will lead you to lost people. 
And it's very easy when you've been a Christian for a while to start becoming isolated from lost people. Let's just be honest. Some of you, that's not the case. You're the only person in your family maybe who is actually a believer. And when you come to church, that's your only reprieve from being surrounded by people who don't love God. So this doesn't apply to you. But if you've been saved for a long time, maybe your whole family uh, all believe in Jesus. Well, it can become easy to become isolated and distant from the lost. And let's be honest, there are times when I hear lost people talking and I'm like, I want to tell them what's up, but I just don't really have time right now or the mental energy to go down that road. But we need to have relationships with lost people. We need to know what people are going through and be mindful of where people are at. And even though their lives are messy and broken, man, we want to stick our hands right down into that mess so that we can pull them up out of the grave, right? And if you'll listen to what people, when they talk, you'll start to discover that they're more open than maybe you realize. Maybe you thought, man, I don't know if I can tell this person the truth because they'll probably snap at me and get mad at me. Listen, if a few people do that, so be it. Jesus was crucified for our sins. I can handle a few people snapping at me, but I think you'll find that the majority of people are desperate for someone to throw them a lifeline and tell them how to find hope and salvation. So be bold. God gave you a spirit so you can be bold. The spirit of Christ is within you so that you can tell people the truth. We don't want to shy away from law people. We don't want to turn our back on sinners. That's not what Jesus did. In Luke 15, it says tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach. This made the Pharisees and teachers of religious law complain that he was associating with such sinful people, even eating with them. Jesus was going to parties and raves with sinners. He was eating with sinners. They're offering him beer. And he's like, I made my own. Don't worry about it. And the religious people are all, what are you doing? You can't hang out with all those sinful people. And he told them, healthy people don't need a doctor. The sick people need a doctor. I came to seek and save the lost. We need to be willing to engage with lost people. Jesus, you know, he was at a rave with, with sinners and talking to them about the kingdom of God and hope and truth. And they were listening and they were attracted to him because he welcomed them. He didn't despise them. So God forbid that we ever turn our backs on sinful people and look down our noses at them. Don't ever let yourself forget who you were. Don't ever let yourself forget the metallic taste of sin that was in your mouth before you came to know Jesus as Lord and Savior. And being reminded of that brokenness is what gives us a heart and a burden for the lost. This friend of sinners that we see Jesus, that's who we wanna be. We wanna be friends of sinners, right? And if I have to get some of your mess on me, I'll do that. If I have to let you spill some beer on me, that's okay. If I get to tell you about Jesus, I don't care if you smell like weed in front of me because it's about introducing you to the savior of the world, okay? So if you come and and you talk and you're messed up, like that's what I want, that's what I want. And if you have friends like this who are sinful, listen, you need to have more friends who are Christians than friends who are sinners. This is like a little side note pro tip. You need more friends who will lift you up than the friends who will pull you down. But when you have a strong network of friends lifting you up, you have the strength to reach down and pull some people up with you, okay? We've gotta be willing to get dirty. Show me a fireman who's never smelled like smoke and I'll show you a fireman who's never saved anyone. I want our church to be so busy rescuing sinners from the fires of hell that we all smell like smoke. 
That's our goal. So watch how David's rescue mission plays out as we get ready to wrap this message up. It says in 1 Samuel 30, verse 17, David and his men, they rushed in among them, slaughtered them throughout that night and the entire next day until evening. None of the Amalekites escaped except 400 young men who fled on camels. David got back everything the Amalekites had taken and he rescued his two wives. Nothing was missing, small or great, son or daughter, nor anything else that had been taken. David brought everything back. They rushed him and they slaughtered the enemy. And if you're like, oh, that's so sad. They should have turned the other cheek. I'm like, slaughter them. I love it. I love it. And they rescued him. They brought him back. They, they brought everything back, all the spoils and their wealth and their riches. And I think in this amazing climactic uh, battle scene that takes place, there are lessons and principles that actually do apply to our lives. Because I don't want you rushing into slaughter people with swords, okay? But there are some principles that you can learn from this and apply to your life. First, notice that they rushed in. They rushed in, right? They could have stopped and said like, what's the plan, okay? Let's like strategize. What's your five point plan to rescue the lost? But like, let's be real for a second. Let's like just open our eyes to the R-rated version of what was really happening. Their sons and daughters and wives were being abused. The women were probably being raped. That's just what happened at that day and age, right? So there was no time to sit around and craft the perfect plan. They rushed in to rescue those who were lost. We live in a day and age where time is short. No man knows how long his life is going to be. You don't know the day or the hour that your heart's going to stop beating. You don't know the day or the hour that your friend or your neighbor is going to die. And so when they die, time is over. Therefore, we need to rush in. We need to act with a sense of urgency, knowing time is short. If Jesus comes back, that's the end of the game. It's good for us, but it's bad for everyone who doesn't know him him yet. That's why he's waiting to come back because he's merciful and he doesn't want people to perish and he's waiting just a little longer so that more people can come in to the kingdom of God. We don't know how much longer we have. It could be a couple years. It could be a couple days. It could be a couple decades, but we need to act as if time is short because it is. Your family members and friends are hanging on the edge of eternity. Your neighbors are hanging on the edge of eternity. We don't have time to come up with the perfect plan. People are like, Ryan, what's your plan for the church? It's to rescue the lost. We'll figure it out along the way with God's grace. We've got to act. Notice that they fought day and night. They fought day and night until the battle was over. We cannot stop fighting until the battle is over. This isn't something that we just do in 2018. This is something we do until our heart stops beating. When you go in the grave or when Jesus returns, you can retire from the rescue operation. Until then, we'll keep fighting day and night until all know Jesus or our time is up because the stakes are so high. Notice that God gave them victory. God gave them victory. And we have to remember that in this fight, we already have victory through Jesus. We will be ultimately victorious when he returns to make this world new. And that we are not judged by the number of people who we rescue. We're judged for our faithfulness to God. Not how many people do you save, because we're all going to reach different numbers of people. Everyone here in Aotuki and Mesa, we're going to reach different people in our community. We're going to reach different numbers of people because we all have different gifts and different roles in the body of Christ. 
Some of you are going to lead dozens of people to Jesus. Some of you are going to lead hundreds of people. Some of you will lead tens of thousands of people to Jesus, I believe. And it's not about the number. It's about the faithfulness. It's about the mindset that, God, you've implanted in me the good news of Jesus Christ. I'm not going to bury this gift in the sand and keep it to myself. I'm going to multiply it like a good steward and return an abundance of lives. I'm going to say, I brought you back more people. Lord. That's what he's looking for. It's not just about us. It's about others. So we're going to be faithful. I believe that David was desperate to rescue the lost because he had been in desperate situations. Many of the Psalms were written during David's desperate years. In Psalm 40, verse 13, David writes, please, Lord, rescue me. Come quickly, Lord, and help me. He knew what it was like to be overwhelmed and assaulted. King Saul chased him all over the wilderness trying to kill him. And so all he could do is cry out to God. Then he saw God deliver him and rescue him. And so this is the last point I want you to take note of today. Rescued people rescue people. That's who we are and that's what we do. Because we've been rescued, we have a responsibility and a call to rescue people. I can't just get on my life raft and sail away from you. I have got to get out and reach it, pull you up in with me. It's the responsibility that I have as a believer. I just want to be real about this because I think our church has a very healthy mindset about this issue. And a lot of you, you have the right heart, but you just have to be on guard against the consumeristic, self-focused mindset that Americans can have. We can make it all about us and our comfort and consuming what we want to feel happy and feel good. Let us never forget what this is really about. Jesus, our Savior, has rescued us and given us life. And now we have the privilege to rescue other people who are lost. Let's not act like it's a burden that we have to share the gospel. It's the greatest privilege of our lives that we get to follow in the footsteps of Jesus and do what he did and reach people the way that he reached them. The fact that we get to be like him is incredible. So I want to give you five practical tips and key areas of your life, things that you need to do in order to engage in this rescue mission. I'm not just telling you to rescue people. I'm just going to tell you how to do it. Here's how. Here's how to rescue people. Okay. We share, serve, give, gather, live. That's what we do. Many pastors would not tell you this. They would say, you can't handle this. It's too much. It's too much of a burden. Uh, you got to give it to them in smaller pieces, little bite-sized pieces, and, and kind of like work them up into it. Look, time is short, and I like to just tell you how it is, and I think you're all big boys and girls, and you can handle the truth. Amen? Do you receive it? All right. Look, you don't have to be a black belt in Christianity to start doing these things. In the Bible, we see that people, they come to know Jesus and they engage in the rescue mission on day one, and you can too. So here's how you do it. You share. 30% of people don't invite anyone, so let's change that. Let's all be inviters. Let's be inviters who invite people to come and see what God has done, sharing what God has done in our lives with other people. Listen for people talking about something broken 
or missing in their life. Well, you'd be shocked how often I'm getting my hair cut and someone's there like, oh, then my boyfriend broke up with me and he cheated on me and he won't pay any child support. And it'd be really easy to be like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, like what did I get myself into? But what you see is God's actually opening the door for you to say, I know a man who will be faithful to you, right? Like I know someone who you could trust. His name's Jesus. And if you'll just listen for those open doors and then step boldly through them, God will use you to rescue the lost. Okay, so share what God has done in your life. You don't have to convince anybody. You don't have to talk someone into becoming a Christian. Just tell them what God's done for you. Okay, and then invite people to come to church. God uses the local church as his primary rescue vehicle. Okay, so invite people to come with you. This church is for Christians who are in the process of reaching lost people. So, you know, when you invite someone to come here, it's going to be safe. They're going to be secure. They're going to be loved no matter what they're doing or who they are. Okay, we're going to love them. Invite them. Invite them. Here's how you invite people. Hey, what you doing this weekend? You ever heard anybody ask that kind of question? People like, oh, I'm just going to you know, do some yard work and die in the heat. I'm just going to go watch some football. Uh, hey, why don't you come to church with me? You can sit with me. It's that simple. How many of you have had someone invite you to church before, right? I think probably half the people in our church were invited by somebody else. Invite. Invite. I think that we should all check in on social media every time we come to church. I think we should. Why? Not to brag that we're going to church, but because your friends will see that and there will come a day that they open up their heart to God and they'll say, wait, I think my bro goes to a church. Maybe I can go with him. You realize that a lot of people who don't come to church aren't even sure if they're allowed to come. Do you know that? And they're just waiting for someone to invite them. Like, okay, is there a dress code? Is there a secret handshake? You know, no, you just come, right? You just come and, and invite them. Just last week, I met a lady who came to our church and she accepted Jesus as our Lord and Savior. And we always ask him like, hey, how, how, how did you come to the church? Like, what brought you here? And she said, I kept seeing all these stickers on cars. So how many of you got a sticker on car? Come on, you're inviting people to church. Share Jesus, share what he's doing. Think about this, like just numbers real quick. If all of us adults invited one person to church every week, that'd be 90,000 invitations a year. And statistics say that one out of three people will say yes to an invitation. Maybe you're like, one out of three? Oh my gosh, that's like high odds of failure. I say that's high odds of success. One out of three, man, if you can give me an investment that returns 33%, I'll be a multimillionaire. One out of three is good odds. I don't want to just sit on the sideline because two people might say no to me. I'm going to keep going knowing that one out of three might say yes. And if one out of three of 90,000 says yes and comes to church, we're going to need a bigger boat. Amen. Let's invite. And maybe right now you're like, Ryan, it sounds like you're trying to get me to promote the church. I'm not trying to get you to promote the church. I'm trying to get you to promote what Jesus has done in you through the church. Amen. It's too good not to share. Share, then serve. Everyone needs to serve. This isn't something for retired people when their kids leave the house. Okay. You need to find a way to serve. Jesus said the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. He told his disciples, if you want to be great, you got to learn how to serve. So find a way 
to serve other people. You can serve in ministries in the church. There are people right now serving in our nursery rooms, taking care of some of your babies. So you can sit in here and listen to this sermon. There are people right now serving in all kinds of different ways and they give their time. And there are people serving outside the church, but find a way to serve. I always look for ways to serve outside the church too, just so I can serve in a different area where I'm not naturally comfortable because I don't want to ask you to do something that I'm not willing to do. I'm looking for places to serve. I'm asking you to serve. Let's be like Jesus and serve others. Share, serve, give. We're all called to give because God is a giving God. He loved us so much that he gave his only son so that we wouldn't die but have new life. We should be givers. We should all be giving. That's an important part of following Jesus. When we saw those boys stuck in that cave in Thailand, I was just reading about it, how People from all over the world gave to this rescue operation and they sent rescuers and resources so those boys could be saved. Think about how many people have given so that we could come and know Jesus. This building did not grow itself. People did not just like magically appear, but they gave and they built this thing up. It'd be crazy to say, I'm so glad that I was rescued, but I'm not going to fund the fight to rescue other people. But yet there are a lot of people who are thinking this way only about themselves, not about rescuing the lost. And so this is how we give. All Christians are called to put God first in their finances. Proverbs says, honor the Lord with your first fruits of your income. So I, as Christians, the biblical model is God gets my tithe, the first 10%, not the leftovers. He's first because he's first in all parts of my life. He's supposed to be first in everything that we do, and finance is a key area. The Bible says, where your treasure is, your heart will be also. And that's why people struggle with this, is because it's such a deep-rooted heart issue. But really, when we surrender our treasure to God, we'll find that our relationship with God goes to the next level. What's so beautiful about bringing God the first 10% is it teaches us to trust him and to submit our lives to him. He uses it to grow us in faith. Then, in his word, he promises to bless us. And he does bless us. That's not the main reason we give, but he does bless us. And it is really awesome. But what's really cool is he takes our giving and he uses it and multiplies it to build up his church, his plan A to rescue the world. And his church goes forth and brings the gospel and other people are saved. So that when people are being saved and baptized here, when you're a giver, you know, I'm a part of that. I'm a part of that. I'm a giver and I'm funding the rescue operation. Generous Christians, that's really the only way that we can do it. We should be generous and givers. So share, serve, give, gather. We need to gather together. This gathering time that happens right now across our city is so important. When we come together in Mesa, in Ahwatukee, at both of our campuses, this gathering is not like optional. The Bible says, do not neglect your gathering together as some people do. You actually need this to be healthy in your soul. When you take a coal and separate it from the fire, it quickly cools down. But the rest of them that are gathered together stay hot. You need each other being with one another, it fuels our fire and it keeps us hot. And your passion for God fuels my passion for God. When I'm feeling weak, your faith encourages me. So let's just get real about this for a second. Hey, Ryan, how often is it okay to not come to church? You're thinking I'm going to say never, but I'm a realist. So I'm going to say, if you miss more than one week per month, you're putting yourself in a position to miss out on God's best for you. I know sometimes we got to travel. It's okay to go on vacation. 
it's normal when you get sick to not come to church. Like, we want to pray for the sick, but I'll pray for you from here, okay? Like, stay home. My, my mom and dad had the rule growing up, you can stay home if you're throwing up. And I'm grateful for that. When I was a young guy, I wasn't always grateful that they brought me to church. But now that I'm an adult, I realized they were doing what was best for me. Sometimes people ask me, hey, Ryan, I really want my kids to come to church. What should I do? I've been asking them, and they say they don't want to come. And I'm like, oh, my God, help me. You make them come to church. That's what you do. Until they can pay their own rent, they are required to come. Okay? So maybe you're a parent, you're like, you can do that? Yes. You make them go to school and brush their teeth. Make them come to church, right? If it's important to go to school, it's really important to learn about how to find eternal life through Jesus. And what parents allow in moderation, children will excuse in excess. If you only let your kids come to church when they want to, or you only bring them once in a blue moon, when they grow up, they aren't going to go at all unless a miracle happens in their life. Don't neglect this gathering together. God has us here for a reason. It's great to watch online or listen to the podcast, but this time is important. Nothing beats being in the presence of God. Amen? Amen. Lastly, we need to live together and do life together. We can't just leave here and go our separate ways. This is the beginning of us living life together. So this is why it's so important to be in a life group. It's not because we want more activity in your life. It's because you can't be healthy in isolation. You need people who can know you intimately and encourage you in your walk with God. People who are safe and won't judge you and who will help you be who God made you to be. So prioritize that in your life. Have Christians in your life. In isolation, you're vulnerable to being picked off by the enemy. So live life together. And social media is not a substitute for time with other people in real life. Amen. Listen, the intensity with which David went after his family to rescue them pales in comparison to the passion Jesus has to rescue the lost. And we need to make his passion our passion. Amen, church? He loved us so much that he didn't leave us to die in our sins, but he came and he gave us the gift of eternal life. And we have got to celebrate that and make the most of the time we have left. Amen. I'm so grateful for God and what he's done for us. And now for what he's gonna do through us. So let's bow our heads and take a moment to pray. God, we thank you for this word and we wanna receive it. If you're here today and maybe you have not yet accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, well, this is an opportunity for you to take that step of faith. And if you feel the desire to give your life to Jesus right now, to accept his sacrifice, to allow him to forgive your sins, that desire comes from the very Spirit of God drawing you to him and saying, hey, I want to have a relationship with you. The Bible says Jesus stands at the door and knocks, and he waits for us to open the door and let him in. So maybe you're here right now, and you're like, I want to take this step of faith. Today is my day. I want to ask Jesus to be a part of my life. I'm going to allow him to forgive my sins and receive that gift that he offers me. I want to live for eternity with him. I want to live for him. If you're ready to take that step today, let's just pray this prayer. Uh, I'm going to invite you to pray it with me and I'll just kind of lead you in it to help you articulate what is in your heart right now. Just say, God, I know that I've sinned and I need your forgiveness. And I recognize that Jesus died on the cross so that I could be forgiven. He paid the price for my sins. And Lord, I believe that Jesus rose again, conquering sin in the grave so that I could have eternal life.
And now I want to live for you from this day forward, giving you everything that I have and everything that I am. Thank you for loving me when I didn't deserve it and giving me favor when I couldn't earn it. God, I thank you for what you've done for me through Jesus. In your name I pray. Amen. Let's stand to our feet, church. Come on. We love what God's doing in our lives. Hey, I want to celebrate with you. If you just prayed that prayer and accepted Jesus into your heart, uh, we're not going to embarrass you or make you do anything, but we're just going to celebrate with you. So if you just prayed and accepted Jesus, I'm going to ask you to shoot your hand up on the count of three. Boldly. One, God loves you. Two, welcome to his family. Three, just shoot your hand up if you prayed that prayer. Any, anyone who says, that's me. I just accepted Jesus. I'm having a hard time seeing. Awesome. Great. I love it. Thank you. Hey, that's so amazing. We celebrate with you if you pray that prayer. As a church, we want to be bold in this effort to rescue the lost. Amen. This is our prayer and our desire. Are you with me? We're not going to stop until everyone knows Jesus. We will not rest until all are rescued. The purpose is worth it. We'll fight because it's worth it. People are worth it. Amen. Come on. We're going to give God praise and declare this truth. This is our prayer. Sing this out.